I'm Sir Flobogen Thunderhammer. And I'm Teflon Frosthammer. And I'm Cabbage Tidehammer. And this is Whack. If Ampguard Knighthood means anything, you can't knife a motherfucker and keep it. And the thing that people need to understand essentially about arts and sciences events is that your scores don't matter. Do you want a black phoenix or a white phoenix? Jeez, language, man. We're on a freaking podcast, for fuck's sake. Mind-blowing experience, right? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Whacked, where we discuss topics important to the AmpGuard community at large and talk with interesting people from around the foam-fighting world. If you like what we do and you have not already done so, please click that subscribe button. It does help us bring you more content. This week, we have, and I'm reading this directly from your Amped Wiki, Warlord Sir Paisley Sunset of the Blackfire Pass of Rising Winds. Um, also, sometimes known as Raven the Swift. Thank you so much for coming on, Raven. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> Not a whole lot. Who did you make enemies with that changes your Amped Wiki to that? So that's been like that for like uh seven years probably and never bothered to update it oh, wow. uh, it was it was made by uh basically um when i was still belted under uh, sir potato he mm-hmm. his night was brennan and at the time i was training a lot with brennan and he just went through my ant wiki and just added a bunch of things in there that my other friend had put in there and he just changed it all because it was really funny i didn't even <laughs> know that was in there for a couple years until someone was like hey why does your amp wiki look really weird and i was like i don't know so i went and looked at it and i've not bothered to update it at all <laughs> which is real unfortunate my my buddy justin had originally set up my amp wiki and i assume spent at least three hours putting all the information up there just for it to be messed with and uh <laughs> you know i mean they, that's there's a history yeah, like, always go back. as we long won't. as we're having fun with it, though, I mean, like, yeah. that's the fun part. You have a, so I want to find out how you got in, but you have a biography. You're the one of the first people I've ever seen that has a biography filled out. Your biography says, once upon a time, there was a very sweet boy named Paisley Sunset. He lived in the middle of nowhere where it was cold, humid, and miserable. One day he moved to the Emerald Hills to be trained by the mighty Brennan and Brett duo. This went well, so he stayed forever. The end. <laughs> this went well. <laughs> so, so I knew when you told me you're going to read off my AM wiki, I'm like, nah, I'm not going to change anything. And then yeah. let's just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm from Ohio originally. And in 2015, I had uh, decided to, uh, like my night before me, to come down to Texas for a while and do training um, with the Sword Knights down here. And I was down here for a year and a half and um did a, did a ton of training with them and eventually i went back to ohio for a, sorry i was down here for about a year and i went back to ohio for a year and a half to get my warlord and get my sword knight in the rising winds mm-hmm. uh, right. just because that's something i really cared about and then right afterwards i just moved back down to texas my girlfriend lives down here <laughs> nice nice, yeah. oh, nice. So Texas yeah. is the hyperbolic time chamber of Anthgard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like at the time, um, Asura was around, and it was like Potato and Brennan and Glenn, myself, um, Bino, and a bunch of other prominent fighters that we were fighting with at the time. Uh, Glenn had come down to Texas to do some training with Spin, and then eventually stayed down here. Um, and then Potato came down, and then I was like, uh, this is around 2015 was a very weird time for me. Like, uh, my, my dad had passed away in November and then my grandfather passed mm-hmm. away in March. And I was like, man, Ohio sucks. I'm going to down to Texas. So I just <laughs> went down there for a year, quit my job, just moved down to Texas, started working at warlord sports. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you are somewhat unique in the era of amp guard that you grew up in, in that, a lot of people know you because you you kind of vlogged your experiences. Yeah. Um, the we have had a few people on that were very active on boards that are well known because of uh, their posts on Facebook and stuff like that. But we haven't had many people that have taken your exact journey. So, uh, what inspired you to uh, start going towards sword? And then follow up question to that. What made you want to kind of vlog your experience with everybody? I hate that word, by the way. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so I started playing the game when I was 12 years old. Uh, obviously, I started in Ohio. Um, and I went to Clan my first year. I think I was thir- I turned 13, which was like 
just at the right age you're allowed to like go do things yeah. so a, a few people from my park are like hey let's go to clan and we drove down to clan which was uh, a hellacious road trip at the time um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and at my first clan i remember seeing i think i was a, a page or a man arms at the time to a to a, a a lord at our park and uh, i saw sir warblade on the ditch field just killing people with a mace and an axe and i was like that's probably the coolest thing i've ever seen in my life at the time and i was like i definitely want to be a sword knight that sounds fucking sweet yep um <laughs> and from there i i really just i guess had a lot of conviction that i'd become a warlord and a sword knight and that became my my primary focus um in the game and then i had taken some time off when i was in high school and i came back to the game when i was 20 and i became squired to a flame knight at the time and that was pretty great and i met potato when i was like 21 i started training with potato and realized i still really wanted to be a flame or a sword knight and a warlord even though i'd been doing some flame training at the time i was like i had like seven roses and uh okay. seven smiths but i was like no i still really want to be a warlord so I became Potato Squire, and the rest is history after that, basically. I just worked really hard and did my Warlord thing. <laughs> yeah. Warblade's actually the first uh, Sword Knight that I think I saw, too, but it was in Rising Winds uh, in a Winter War. I don't remember which one, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really, really weird. And that was literally the the exact moment where I was like, I'm going to be a Warlord. Um, I've known I've experienced some things where like people are like, well, how did you, how did you know you're going to be a Warlord? I don't mean to sound like weird and cliche about that. And I literally just said, cause I wanted to. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, that's a perfectly fine reason. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really have any question that I was going to not do it. Cause I just knew I would. Um, part of that was when I came back to the game, when I was 20, there were some other people in our kingdom that were already really progressed into getting their seventh, eighths and ninths. And it was a pretty competitive environment at the time. Um, I just worked harder than everybody else, basically. Um, pretty much, pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. As as far as wanting to, to document those things and like do kind of like a, a vlog on my way to Warlord. Um, Was that just I, you? Because I know that a lot of people, when when you were spending time down in Texas, there, I saw a lot of stuff coming out of that house. A lot of you know, here's us having fun and just generally like hanging out and being friends. But there was a lot of fighting videos coming out at that time. There's a lot of other stuff coming out. Was it just you that was doing it or was this kind of a community project? Oh, you mean the videos with like when me and Brett were doing stuff? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so me and Brett only lived five minutes away from each other. Like, let's see, one, two, three blocks away from each other, basically. Oh, nice. And he and I would, since we live so close to each other, we do we'd have practices together and stuff. And, you know, you just, when you get a few people in a, an environment like that, you just start making, you're like, if you think of new stuff and you're like, Hey, we should probably record this and make stuff. I know Brett had a segment on warlord weekly and he wanted to continuously make content, but he didn't want to do it by himself. So we just worked together to make some content. Gotcha. Um, that was just, I think a, a part in time where like monkey would come up and visit from um, Hobbs and then Glenn would be there. He, or we would go, the Dallas people would go down to the CK or the wetlands or whatever. And we just had a very active uh, community at the time. Um, I think we had a lot of cross mingle interaction between a lot of different fighting companies just in that area. Like we had a lot of information from the wheels coming in and the torches and Asura and the rogues and just kind of all working together to get through all this data and stuff. And just the stuff we were kind of figuring out. We're like, oh, we want to really record this stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, and for those that, for our younger listeners that may not know this, if you've never been down to the Texas, we were joking about it being kind of a hotbed, but one of the reasons is where, uh, he was talking about the coming from Dallas there, you kind of have a triangle of three different kingdoms. Mm -hmm. You can hit, uh, what, six... Uh, six or so uh, weapon masters a year by, oh, at least. by traveling less than two and a half hours. Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, if you're from DFW, it takes you three and a half, four hours to get down to Houston. 
and it takes you three and a half hours or three hours exactly to get to Little Rock, Austin. And it takes you about three and a half hours to get to San Antonio, which two of those are the San Antonio and Austin, the same kingdoms. But I mean, those are all really freaking close to each other. And each of them um, at the time were pretty big kingdoms. The Emerald Hills technically is located in Oklahoma now, but oh, wow. no one, there's, there's only one warlord in Oklahoma <laughs> and there's probably five or six warlords in the DFW area, right. like Dallas Fort Worth for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when we talk about a lot of the old school knights, a lot of the, the, uh, sword knight talent, uh, coming out of that area, part of what, part of the reason was our kingdom winter's edge, for example, is somewhat isolated. We're eight hours away from Florida. We're seven and a half hours away from um, rising winds above us. We're the appropriate number of hours away from Florida. Okay, yeah, we are the appropriate <laughs> number of hours away from Florida. But you you then compare that to a situation where any of the people that came up from uh, Texas, all of these famous names that we know, yourself included, uh, you there's a there's a greater potential just to be able to go visit and hang out with people that are you know you both drive two hours and boom you're the, you can find a Walmart parking lot to fight in if you needed to um so yeah that just a geographical thing that I don't know if we've ever discussed on the show before but there's a lot of kingdoms in what in Ampguard terms is a relatively small geographical area um that provides a lot of uh, uh, a a lot of good fighting there and I don't want to make it sound like it's just fighting either. I mean, it's a lot of good amp guard period. A lot of our best artisans have come out of that area um, for the same reasons. They can go and look at the uh, the creations that people in multiple different kingdoms are making. Um, it's easier to meet up and teach. Just a, a really good amp guard environment. Good reason to grow the your amp guard around the area too. Yeah, I will say that I will say the, the battle gaming scene is a little lacking in Texas compared to some areas like the wetlands is not that bad. The wetlands is pretty on the edge of like having really good battle games in their designs um, only because they had some uh, cross pollination from different areas. Like the rogues travel a lot and Glenn having been to like the different corners of the game have brought a lot into their kingdom. So the wetlands is pretty good as far as battle games are considered, but um, the EH and um, the celestial kingdom are kind of behind as far as design goes. Um, but as far as the fighting goes, again, if anyone doesn't know, basically from 2013 to 2018, basically you had this really cool transformative period, um, and, and, and high end sword fighting, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, basically my fighting company at the time, Asura, our whole, whole objective was to, to teach people, to train people and to travel around and learn new things. Yeah. And um, Glenn, having been almost a doctor um, in computer science, um, Potato was a teacher. And some of the other people that we knew, like um, Anatole was a teacher at the time. Uh, I know Shion worked with him. I think Anatole and, still is a teacher. Yeah. The last time we talked to him, he was. But uh, it was this really cool thing because we basically all the people in the area, like the rogue, a lot of us in Asura, um, trained with the rogues or had rogue fundamental training. We basically had this thing where like everyone that was a, a high-end fighter at the time, including the torches, basically all knew the same information and um, that information could be tested and tried against um, the experience of like the torches and the wheels and stuff like that to where like if we brought a new idea into the environment, uh, we would go to like an event and we'd do a bunch of um, uh, what do you call that? A uh, think tank basically to see if right. these techniques even work and the cool thing was because everyone basically knew the background of the other fighters you could have a pretty honest conversation about how these things are like martially true or not right um which is pretty interesting like if we had a bunch of theory a rogue theory come in we basically have the torches be like ah this stuff isn't very good or this stuff is very good and then it just happened to be at a time where like the wheels were doing a ton of ton of work to, to really figure out some of the, the new cutting edge uh, thoughts and theories. And then you had the torches coming back to prominence and getting back into the game. Right. And they brought 
almost 100 years of fighting between a lot of them. <laughs> That's a fun way of saying just, they're it's old. A, just it's, Harry, a lot, it's a lot of fighting. Just Harry and, alone uh, brought almost 100 years of, worth of fighting experience. <laughs> but they had this, all this experience and stuff to really to see if these techniques really worked. And uh, the amount of gains that the fighting community made, even even not at the top end, because this, this information was being disseminated, disseminated down the ranks of like, you know, this is how people are fighting now. So the, the, the less skilled or younger fighters are starting to learn this information. You mean this huge explosion in skill in the game Yeah. that um, if we didn't record a lot of it and really we still haven't recorded as much as we possibly could, um, then that information would get lost to the new generation of fighting. Um, luckily that we had a lot of young students around who wanted to learn all this stuff and it was just a pretty incredible time in fighting. It was great. So you mentioned using, uh, or, or rather having the, the rogues and the, the, the wheel and, and uh, the torches um, work as this kind of anvil that you try new fighting techniques against to find out if they're valid or not. What makes a group like that possible? Is it just that you all have the same interests or do you have a special way of communicating? Like what makes that something that works? Um, so in Asura, basically, we, basically in order to get in the fighting cup at the time, you had to want to be better at fighting. And we had so many, we had four or five warlords and sword knights at the time that like, we could, we could basically take this objective look at fighting and basically want to crunch all the data together, basically, which was really fun. Um, that was, that was basically the brainchild of, of potato and Brennan and Glenn and Brett. Um, cause we just really wanted to go through that information. We all love fighting. Um, and we're like, hey, let's go through this stuff. And then we had enough ed, um, skilled fighters that weren't quite warlords yet that we could teach this stuff to and see if they could implement it. And then they could be better at fighting. And a lot of those guys became warlords or are going to be warlords. Um, yeah, it was just a we, – we basically said, hey, this is our healthy environment. Don't bring any drama or try not to. Right. Um, <laughs> we, we don't do politics. We don't do this stuff. We just do fighting. And basically, if you didn't fight, you couldn't get in the fighting company. And um, we just had a bunch of people from different areas who wanted to do fighting stuff. Um, That's yeah. sick. Okay. So one of the things that was really uh, interesting to me about this time is Amp Guard's always had a culture of, of uh, fight sharing. There was always a, this idea. I mean, going back to some of the, the early big, big groups like Claw Legion and things like that, you you always had a group or a couple of different fighting companies uh, uh, around that that really dominated the the fighting scene, but a lot of that grew out of a person that happened to be really really good that then trained a lot of people. Spin got into the game, and people you know the the people that came out the other end of his training people all called spin zombies you know they all wore the shades and dressed very <laughs> very similar and they had you know you had a lot of people we've talked about this on the show before but when you train with someone long enough right you're you're going to be throwing off the same axes you you know if you have a similar build this can cause a lot of problems when you're trying to train against one another if you and I are trying to throw the exact same shots <laughs> there's a tiktok video of Flo and I fighting where we throw the exact same sequence of shots yeah we do yeah. uh and uh so spin had started uh moving on uh at this point he was i believe he was uh, either starting to play or had been playing SCA uh Leaf wasn't around as much anymore. Uh, either a lot of the names that had been big iconic names in the game for a very long time, you know, the the top top end fighters, were were getting older and starting to do other things uh, in life. And what replaced it was what you've been talking about here. It was groups of people. It was no longer the 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 media that was being put out was not. Hey, I'm this person. And I'm going to go and show you this thing. The media that was being put out was, hey, I'm Potato, and I'm going to show you my method of controlling range and reading shots. Yeah. But then I'm going to have the all of these different guests that I'm doing this with, you know, week to week. I'm, uh, I'm going to be working with this other person. By the way, you should go watch their videos too, because they're fighting Anatole in this one, who comes from a different park and is... Uh, and is bringing in a completely different set. Uh, I think that it did... I don't think that it gets enough credit for pushing fighting forward 
in AmpGuard as a whole, uh, as it should. I actually think that people look down on it. Um, what I've heard from Clan was not the, the takeaway recently, especially with some of the belting talk, wasn't look at this amazing thing that this group of people were able to do. Look at how well they were able to take up our fighting. It's that, oh, look at these people. You have to travel to become a, a warlord. It's like they were only focusing on the really negative parts of what all of you were doing just to have fun and to get better because you wanted to be better at fighting. Uh, so it's really it's been really cool listening to the other side of that, hearing the hearing someone that was in that uh, in in deep with the people that were actually doing this training, and of course, once you hear the other side of the story, it's really just no man. We just we wanted to get better at fighting, and we were having fun doing what we were doing. Yeah, I think I think I I don't want to say those people aren't wrong. I think of I think they are partially true in that like we were really pushing an edge of fighting that was like not sustainable for a normal person um, <laughs> yeah. like i'm yeah totally seriously um and i although i do think that those people anyone who's going to see the negative and everything will only ever see that right and i know personally i've said that people should go travel and go to other kingdoms and stuff like that to, to warlord but I didn't mean like you have to travel across the country. <laughs> well, most people are like, well, you just want us to be like you and do these things. And it's like, no, like most of the people that were doing that stuff are pretty objective. And like, what is a reasonable expectation for somebody? Mm -hmm. Some people's, you know, standards a little bit higher than others. But like when I tell people to like go travel, I mean like go to other parks. Like right. don't go to just your park. Go to like the, the park next door and go to their weapon master because you don't know how they fight. Or maybe mm -hmm. they fight slightly differently or something like that. Glenn said um, it best when he was on. Don't be the biggest fish in the smallest pond. Yeah. That's the whole goal. The, the goal of traveling is not just the travel. It's to expose yourself to what other people are doing and see and see how well you do against it. Yeah, I, I've said that recently in some video that I put out. Um, but it was basically like, when you're trying to get good at fighting, like you don't have to be, you can't, can't be emotionally attached to to your success and your loss because it's not like that's not necessarily what the truth of the situation is i like to, to say like just because you're really good at your park doesn't mean you're actually good at fighting yeah. like you can tell that you're good at fighting when like you can use your you can use your 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 processes against other people when it becomes successful and then you can test your processes against different groups and different environments to see you know what your martial truth is so to say um and everyone fights differently so I do think like a lot of us were traveling probably eight hours to like another kingdom, which is seems to be the average. Yeah, I definitely gotcha. tell people to do that when they're trying to get their masterhood. And I think people see that as a negative thing. Like I shouldn't have to travel that much to get my masterhood. And I don't usually mean that like that's what they needed that's what they need to do to be a to be a warlord. I usually mean that's what they need to do to be a master at their thing that they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I kind of separate that in my mind of like, yeah, you can be a warlord at this thing and win four kingdom tournaments at your kingdom, but like that doesn't inherently make you a master at fighting. Um, yeah, I generally take a pretty conservative approach nowadays to like not having super high standards for other people. And I try to tell people, you know, have your own standards for what you want to do at fighting. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. So you, you make this point about having a, you call it a martial truth or just having a, a process and everyone should have a, a sort of different process. How does somebody go about sort of refining that for themselves? Is there a, a you know, one step way to do that or how did, how did you do it for yourself? Um, so a lot of people, a lot of people go, I'm a first order of the warrior. I want to go to warlord and they go, I go from here to there. So most people go, well, I got to win kingdom tournaments and do whatever. So they'll go to a kingdom tournament. They'll get like, sixth place or whatever which doesn't get them an award right and they're like well i can't get any awards at because i can't get any awards at the kingdom level tournament that means we should lower the standards of tournaments and shit like that yeah um and usually what i mean by like like how to get from here to here is like all the little steps in between there to eventually get to here and when people talk about generally when people are like i want to be better at fighting but i can't get any awards for this thing they, their their first thought is to go from their park to kingdom and it's never like go to you have your shire 
they never think like, well, how can I get more people to come to my park to make it a barony? And how can I get more people to come to my park to make it a duchy? Right. And then with those things systematically, you know, within our game, you get higher orders of the higher orders of awards. Mm-hmm. And those become harder to get because they're harder orders of the warrior to get, right? Like getting a first order of the warrior is significantly easier than, you know, getting three kills in a row is easier than getting like 17 or 18 to get your mm-hmm. your seventh order of the warrior or something like that. Um, to, to refine your process, you know, obviously you're testing it, but you need more people to test it against. And that's either traveling or improving your park, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to tell people to work on your park, make your park successful and use that as your basis to improve your skills and stuff like that. I mean, if you um, have a bigger park, then it's more likely people are going to travel to your park as well. So like it, for sure. it does two things for you. Yeah. I mean, even like I just had this thought of like, because you're absolutely right. People think of, of progress in this, this, especially with warrior being, you know, one order to the next, um, but it can be stuff that's incremental. So like, you know, I'm at my fourth, the next step might not be my fifth. It might be not eating it every time somebody throws a fake. And so that's a thing I work on. And then once I've got mm-hmm. that down and then that makes that, that fifth order infinitely more attainable and every order that comes after it as well. Yeah. And it, like people mostly focus on the results of their training and not the, the process of their training. Like for a long time, like I, I, like you said, not winning a tournament and winning a tournament is usually the difference of just a little bit. Right. And if you can notice the little improvements in your fighting, you're like, eventually I'm going to get there and you just keep working on it a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And eventually you're getting wins and getting wins. Like I got nine second places in a row. I, got, I won a tournament, my first tournament ever. I got nine second places in a row, and then I won my second tournament. And that was just the difference of, like, one day I was really lucky, and then it was a bunch of just working on little improvements to eventually solidly win my second tournament. And when I won that mm-hmm. tournament, I, like, I won every bracket except for a single sword. And I was like, okay, I made it. And then you just keep working on it incrementally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I can get behind that. I, I will have days where I come out to park, and I'm like, I'm going to work on blocking. I don't care if I kill a single person but I'm going to catch three blocks before I throw. Um, I suck at that game still, but it's something I work on from time to time. So. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of young fighters, they, they want to emulate um, high-end fighters and like a lot of high-end fighters travel around. They don't spend a lot of time at their park um, or they only come out every so often because they're off doing something else. I know a lot of younger fighters want to emulate that and go to wherever the skill is in their, their, their region or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say like my journey from like my second order of the warrior to my like seventh order of the warrior was spending a lot of time at my park, um, recruiting people, working on retention, working on getting people to show up to the park and have a good time because that means they're coming back. And like the only way you can actually get better at the game is killing is fighting other people at your community. And if no one wants to come to your community, you can't get better at fighting. So it's directly beneficial to know work on your community and make sure everyone's having a good time and, well, and, and more and importantly to do that more importantly too for all of those people who are complaining about having to travel it's probably because your local community isn't very large you have to go somewhere where there's more of a diversity of people so if you just grow your local community maybe you don't have to travel nearly as much yeah yeah for sure i know a lot of people a lot of people will be like they, they think that getting better at fighting is just like i don't know magic or something yeah like, like you just i just fucking got good at fighting then i went to this place and they gave me an award and it was awesome but it's a lot more micromanaging other stuff like that like yeah i don't think uh, anybody gets there in, in the silo that is a shire and never leaving it like i don't think people get there yeah it would be like impossible i think the best time in fighting we had um between in ohio between columbus and springfield they're about 40 minutes apart from each other mm-hmm. and uh i worked to make Springfield a duchy. Eventually, Springfield became really good. And then I eventually moved to Columbus because that's where my night was. And then we worked on making Columbus a duchy or vice versa, one of the two. But uh, basically, we worked on making these two areas fun to play at, to have people there. And then I just kind of got my friends in Springfield to do more fighting. And then Columbus Park did more fighting. And then we basically had two kind of bases to, to work off of. And then you have, at that point, you have basically two duchies that you can go every you know let's see two eight tournaments a year because we made sure we did our weapon master we did our quals tournament every single time that it came up so you're and, talking about at your duchy level parks doing those weapon masters and stuff right 
Yeah, that's a yeah. I forgot to mention that earlier. A lot of those parks, you know, people who want to be good at fighting, they're in their shire, but they don't think like they they, sh- they think about getting the reps of doing, doing a lot of fighting, but they don't think about organizationally like getting more tournaments to happen. Like when I was down here in morning with Glenn, they're like, "Well, we haven't done a tournament in forever." And I'm like, "Well, no shit, you guys don't have any orders." The warrior, you never do tournaments. Like yeah. preaching to the choir here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> like I literally ran on that. That yeah, was my thing. Like a lot of people have talked about like wanting to, oh, there should be more four and under, five and under, whatever and under tournaments at like kingdom level and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, why don't you just do it at park? Like, yeah, literally nobody stopped you <laughs> from doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like all of this can be solved. I feel like this is just trying to kick the can down the road kind of deal or something, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like a lot of people put the, the onus on their kingdom to hold more tournaments. And it's like, your park's supposed to hold at least turn- two tournaments every six months. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. are you not doing that? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. like our our region when i lived in ohio our region would get upset at their at their monarchy if they didn't do the tournament <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> they're like yeah, you're supposed good. to do the tournament worth the tournament <laughs> <laughs> and uh I, in some cases like you know if you had some some guy who wants to be better at fighting or something and they're kind of like making everybody do the tournament for them so they can get an award sometimes that's shitty yeah that that's kind of the other component of like uh, of getting better at fighting is actually just being a, a hospitable person that people want to be around. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, uh, I know a thing, uh, not to sound like a brag or anything, a thing when I got knighted was like, man, people really like playing amp guard with you. You should knight you. And I was like, yeah, I, I'm nice to people. I'm nice to people in general, but like, I, it, you have to be nice to people to get them to engage in the thing you want them to engage in and have them coming back time and time again to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys know, uh, probably won't know him. He's a guy named Rakir. Um, he's kind of the first original really good fighter in Ohio. And he's a member of the torches. And, wow. uh, he was like, like a stick jock, stick jock, uh, back in the day mm-hmm. of like, uh, he used to say, none of us wore garb because we didn't think garb was important. And he's like, you should wear garb because it makes people come back to your game. And they want to play with you. Bingo. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so we basically ch- Chad's whole thing was, you know, in order to get better at the game, you have to have people around you who want to play with you. If, if you're an asshole to people, then you're never going to be good at fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a huge inspiration for us in Ohio to be, you know, better people. You mentioned the headspace uh, a little while back, and I I have talked before that uh, to tie this back into previous episodes, which all of you should go watch the. <laughs> Fighting in tournaments is a different headspace than you use when you're fighting in a ditch or something like that. That's why you should be doing these local tournaments. That's why you should be uh, in a situation where it's a best two out of three or, or something like that. It doesn't matter if you can't get an award from this this local Shire tournament that because this is your Shire uh, that you're in, in this hypothetical. It's the fact that you are competing and that you're learning how to get into that headspace. But... More importantly, a little earlier, you talked about uh, training headspace. And this is something that we got to talk quite a bit with Anatole about when he was on as well. It's one of the areas of the game that I really, really like. Um, I think that the uh, I think that a lot of people when they're doing um, ANS or something like that, they can see the steps that they have to take. Right. If I if I want to sew up a tunic, I need to go to Joanne's. I need to buy the fabric. I need to have a rough sketch of what I want. I need to start cutting stuff out. All of those are different steps that are really easy to lay out. I I totally agree with you that people look at fighting and say, "I am currently a first level order of the warrior. I want to be a tenth level order of the warrior, and so I will just do the things to become a tenth. I'll just start fighting more." but they don't apply that same methodology to fighting. They don't say, what do I need to do to get to two or three? Um, walk me through what, you know, young Paisley Sunsetter or whatever your <laughs> name was. Sunsetter. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody walk, put that in the wiki. Go yeah, ahead. right. Walk me through what Raven learned from some of the more experienced fighters about how to take this more incremental steps. Um, so definitely just some, just touch on some things about processes. Um, 
a lot of people, you know, they see success, they don't see the steps that win in success. And part of that is cross training um, for for foam fighting. I think I don't know. I've read more books that had to do with other forms of fighting, and I think we have one fighting book for amp guard too, maybe. Um, but neither of those were as impactful as other books, stuff like that. And part of that is just doing cross training. One of those books is called The Art of Learning by J- Josh Waitzkin. Uh-huh. He's um, the guy who uh, Becoming Bobby Fisher is based on. That's um, the book so I he's, read. <laughs> he's a world championship chess player. He's a world champion, Tai Chi Chuan, push hands champion. And he's working on doing judo and jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. He's a really smart guy. And he in the book, he talks about the difference between incremental and uh, iterative and how you think about things. Iterative people are think about if they think about if I succeed at something, that means I'm successful. And if I fail at something, I'm a failure. It's black and white. And incremental people go, okay, I did something. Did I learn from that? Yes. Okay, I'm getting better from it. Um, they, they basically measure their progress versus measuring the results, which is super important. As far as getting better at doing tournaments and what your thought process goes into, um you have to so in order to be really good at fighting you have to think you can't think about the the challenge in front of you and what it takes to be better at fighting and it's like i can't think about if if uh say i had to fight flow in a tournament and i'm not a warlord and i had to fight flow most people go how do i get better at killing flow right well if they beat flow and they have a, a solid process for doing that but that process was specific to beating flow they aren't inherently better at fighting. They're just better at beating flow. Right? That that result is very, very minimal in its in its benefit to getting you better at fighting. You have to think about getting better at the next level of fighting, not specifically to a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to say, like, don't fight the don't fight the thing in front of you. You have to fight the, the many, many, many other people ahead of you. So you have to come up with processes and stuff that make you generally better at fighting. And you have to think about outside of the box, like things that might happen to you in a tournament setting, not specifically what what will happen to you at a given tournament. Um, As far as getting better, like you could look at it stages, like in order to go from your, like your first to like seventh, you really have to know like three shots. Mm -hmm. You can, you can know three shots, how to set them up off of attacking uh, being attacking somebody defending and countering um you have to know like well if i throw this shot based on like this position of my body these other two shots might come out if you can know if you can know three good shots and you know the answers to those three shots you can probably make it to your seventh pretty easily um just because people aren't inherently very good at fighting and if right. you if you keep it to just that and you don't do anything else outside of that you're probably going to be fine and specific to, to our listeners here when he says answers what he's talking about is uh when i throw this shot what is going to be returned to me what do i need to learn to block what are the common things that are going to kill me within one or two shots after i have thrown my i'm going to kill you shot my high percentage shoulder shot or whatever it is right yeah. today i learned like, i don't know three shots <laughs> <laughs> when i say three shots i really mean like three attacks that you know will land mm-hmm. if if i do something and you do not immediately answer back i'm going to kill you with my next shot or kill you with this next thing if you have three things that you're like this 100 percent going to kill this guy and you know like how to make those things happen you don't have to lot you don't have to know a bunch of concepts about fighting right like you can you can know a few things um and that's really like if i can always set up hitting someone in their board if i'm right-handed versus a right-handed person if i can set up hitting someone in their board side shoulder with one or two setups, then you could probably get to your fifth or sixth, really. Mm-hmm. Um, like a really common one is like step step at an angle, throw a cross. You have your hand high. If they answer and throw a back cross, you're going to block. Step right again, hit him in the shoulder. Or if I throw a cross as I'm stepping right, they throw a board side, I'm going to immediately throw my board side shoulder too. Um, if I throw a cross, they don't do anything, I'm just going to continue with my plan and hit them in the shoulder anyway. Right. That's like three setups for the same shot, basically. Um, if they can do that, that's pretty easy to be successful with. 
the issue becomes like most people who get to warlord um without having experienced a lot of inner uh inner kingdom or multi-kingdom experience they tend to get they have a style and if they haven't been if they haven't experienced outside stimuli to really challenge that style they'll just have that style forever basically and something will happen to where like they encounter somebody who knows what their style is or their that opponent style doesn't really make sense to them mm-hmm. like they're not they don't have the the ability to process those things and they're just going to do really poorly and they're like I don't, I don't know what's wrong i guess i'm not throwing these shots very well and you're like it's, it's not that it's that you're not you don't know concepts of fighting you know you know uh the opposite of a concept i don't <laughs> the very narrow uh, <laughs> yeah, approach you, you to know it, this right? very narrow approach to doing things and you experience that a lot in certain areas that are kind of remote from other places um depending on like how how much like crossroads your kingdom has and how many inner kingdom events that your kingdom has um really determines that like there's not really any many like inner kingdom events in like the northern eh or um uh, rivermore mm-hmm. or like out in the northern lights in black spire or in california for that matter so they're they're very isolated Fair. um stuff like that but as far as as far as getting better you have to improve your processes of fighting i was fortunate enough to um have been trained by my friend um sorn uh, he was originally from Silverwater, and he was trained by a uh, freaking sir uh tall guy with long hair Flo. Really handsome. No. <laughs> Flo. Flo. Not Flo. Really said handsome. Yeah, I know. Tanked it. Tall guy, uh, long hair that's really handsome. He's a flame knight. Uh, Tobin. Tobin. Oh, I, look yeah, this yeah. I think his name. Um, so, yeah, my first day I came to Oh, yeah. I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> my, my friend Soren was trained by this guy down in the wetlands, or uh, down in Florida. He was really good. Um, so, fortunately, my first lesson I had was focus on your body mechanics and footwork. And that kind of transcended to like learn concepts about fighting. Don't learn specific things. Tall guy, long hair. Was it Cho? Was it Cho Hag? No, I know of that person, but I think Tombo. 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 That's Tombo. Yeah. Oh, I miss Tombo so much. Tombo was, uh, I think that he went on to win several uh, kendo tournaments and stuff like that. But he reached a point where his joints just couldn't couldn't hold up anymore. Tombo was amazing. So I've heard. So yeah. So he was trained by Tombo, and thus me trained by him. Um, with with many sports, like you know, if you're growing up playing like a so- soccer or something like that, a lot of times you'll develop like bad habits and stuff like that because you're not you don't you're not exposed to better training or something along those lines. Did you experience some of that kind of thing where like you had a bad habit and had to break or, or oh, something like that? Sure. Uh, I'm trying to think of it, yeah, it's hard those to usually yeah. Those usually come about as like you're experiencing a certain thing and then you had your solution to that and that solution never really got checked. I mean, chainsawing is a good one where your arm is like, you hold it in an extended position and someone goes to attack you and you, you bring your sword all the way back. I did that for a long time. And eventually I just, um, you know, get out of the habit and do drilling to fix that particular habit. Um, I used to do a lot of like really deep forward lunging and that would result in like getting like tendonitis in my knee or something like that. Yeah. Like way fix. overextending over your. Yeah. Yeah, and I eventually had to fix that and stuff like that. I mean, I could even look at like patternistic bad habits of like when I was doing a lot of training with potato and doing a lot of rogue theory stuff, mm-hmm. I developed a very responsive way of fighting to where like I would not attack somebody until I could get them to throw a shot at me and I could block and then start my attack. So, and that was never an issue until I encountered someone who was like, oh, you only attack me if I attack you. And as my first SKBC I ever went to, and uh, I was sparring with Brett, I did my one-on-ones, and I was like, "Hey, just tell me what I'm doing wrong, or do whatever." So halfway through a thing, I would, you know, throw a bunch of jabs at him to try to get to do, him to do something. And no matter what, like if I if I did this like movement or fake or whatever to try to open his guard, no matter what, I'd always start it by hitting him with the jab, and he would just wouldn't attack me. And I was like. Uh, I don't know what to do because <laughs> you won't attack me and I can't advance my attack plan. Because in your head, you're like, that's really dangerous to attack somebody without them, like, extending to do something, right? So he just didn't attack me. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do because you won't attack me. And he's like, you, you have to actually just hit me or try to. I'm like, 
yeah, that, you know, that clash with my, my thought process or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's just like a, a kind of a patternistic, a process error, basically. Um, that was a huge one actually. And I still kind of do that sometimes where I'm like, I don't really like attacking people until they attack me because I'm, I know the patterns of like, I know the patterns of return much better than they do. So I just don't like doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's dangerous to attack people. Things to fuck with Raven over the next time we fight. <laughs> I got it, though. I got it, though. I'm way better at one-shotting people now. <laughs> so, so what broke you of it? We actually have a player here who is in that same trap, right? Um, he's hard to beat because, you know, we are more likely to throw on him than he is to us, so he knows the pattern better that way. Um, but he's kind of plateaued pretty well. Um, did you, like, try to learn leads or, or things like that or – what was your process to get out of that habit, I guess? Um, your knight actually had a whole leads contest at one <laughs> point, I remember. Yeah, that was a yeah, the 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 Tato Dojo lead exchange, which was really fun. That was just a uh what do you call that? A uh, a a configuration of different setups and stuff to make your like signature moves and stuff. Huh. Mm -hmm. I think what helped me break me of that was actually getting better at fighting. Because, you know, when you, when, say, when random new players come up to you and they realize that you're good at fighting, they don't want to attack you because they're scared of you. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn how to attack people be, despite the fact they would not attack me, um, which was kind of a, a transitional period for me when I, I could still fight very responsively and I got my warlord. And after that, people were like, oh, that guy's a warlord. I don't want to attack him. And I'm like, I don't want to attack you. That sucks. So I had to learn <laughs> how to, like, how to, uh, just fight better, I guess. I don't really know how to explain how I sure. did it other than I learned other things that made people do dumb stuff. Like, you can take... If you look at, like, the way someone attacks with their patterns and stuff, you go, okay, um, I can be reactive because I know this person doesn't attack very well. Well, I'll just wait for them to do something, they attack, whatever. Well, that wouldn't work, right, because they're not going to attack you. But that is a general weakness that people have is that their attacks aren't very strong. Mm-hmm. Well, also with that is that you find that people don't have a good mechanical structure in their how they hold their guard. Like a lot of people just kind of stand there with their arm tucked. They're like, they're doing this and like their hand isn't like extended or like very strong. They're kind of hunched over or maybe they don't feel very confident on their feet. Well, I found out if you walk up to somebody and they haven't attacked you yet and you just smack their sword out of the way and then hit them, they can't really do anything about it. So <laughs> the result just became just smacking them in the hand or smacking their sword out of the way and hitting them. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty energy efficient if you're in a tournament. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and this goes back to some of the uh, some of the tournament stuff we talked about before too. If you can get that first win, then you have a psychological advantage over a lot of people. Not everyone, but a lot of people when they get that first loss in a best two out of three, it's it's kind of a big mental blow to them. They start playing more defensively. Um, I want to switch things up a little bit because we're starting sure. to get close to the end of time. And you mentioned something early on in the show that I wanted to circle back around to. We have, the, the three of us have done quite a bit of service and leadership stuff for the game. And I do not want to present you as a one-dimensional amp garter, though uh, I have really enjoyed the, the fighting talks that we've had on there. Because something else that you have mentioned more than once is that you have helped grow several parks from yep. very small parks up to very large parks. And not only that, but you consider it as important as your journey uh, to, to getting better or maybe integral to your journey to getting better. Um, what are some things that some of our, our listeners that perhaps have smaller parks could do as beginning steps to help grow their park? Okay. Well, um, part of that is you have to know where your strengths are. Um, if you're good at making battle games, you should make battle games. If you're good at doing admin work and you're good, I consider that like your regent and your monarch. Do that and then leave the people who are better at that other thing, leave that to them if you want to. Um, but you really have to play into your strengths. Like for when we were making our parks big in Ohio, I am not an admin person at all. Luckily, I had very good monarchs and regents there. Like my knight and his wife at the time were very good monarchs and very good regents, uh, juicy. And in the other parks, a uh, guy named Robert Filkins is a really good lifetime monarch of his park. He's been monarch probably 20 times or something. Yeah. Um, having those people there to handle all the stuff I didn't want to do was phenomenal. 
Um, I really enjoy making battle games, and I like the reason I like making battle games is because that's basically the reason people keep coming back to Ampguard. Um, as far as like growing your park is considered, like a huge thing. Just that you have to kind of get in the mindset of just a normal amp carter. It's like if you don't tell people what's going to happen at park, they don't have anything to look forward to, and they have no expectation of what's going to happen. So a large thing was, you know, a couple of days before park, probably Wednesday or Thursday, I'd be like, "Hey guys, uh, this is what you can expect at park." Blah 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 blah, and I'd have like two or three battle games written up, mm-hmm. and then Friday would come around. I think we played on Sunday, so like Friday Saturday would come around, and I would post it again in our Facebook page. And then I, I would look at who liked the thing and who commented on it. And then I would see who didn't. And I would go on our members list and message each individual person. I'm like, hey, dude, we're doing this stuff. You should come to park today and stuff like that. And it would take like 20 minutes, maybe 20 minutes to message all these people to, you know, poke them and let them know like, hey, there's some stuff going on here. You might have fun at that. Also, you poke them because they want to feel wanted in their community. And if I go, hey, John, you should come play Amcar with us today. They're like, Okay, I would love to come play Amp Guard with you. And then they come play Amp Guard. It's great. Yeah. I'm going to tell uh, you why what you just now said is my favorite response uh, that we've ever gotten on this show. Before that, while Flo monologues, I have a call I have to go deal with real quick, so I'll be right back. Yep, yep, cool. But Flo will buy me 40 minutes of time. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hurtful, true, but hurtful. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you why the response that you just now gave is one of the favorite that I've ever heard on the show. Or I'll just say the favorite that I've ever heard on the show. Thank you. Um, We've had a lot of people give great answers. Uh, different activities that you could do, ANS nights, going over to gaming shops and things like this. All of these are really, really good things that you can do. Community building sorts of things. Your answer, though, was to make AmpGuard better. Right? If I summarized everything that you said, it was make better battle games. Have, train people up to do leadership and have good, strong uh, leaders in there. Um reach out to people, which we've talked about multiple times on this show, uh, that uh, that maybe don't feel like they're being engaged for whatever reason, and engage them. Take that extra uh, step. And while in you were doing this on your own, this could have been a group of people, too, that were reaching out. You know, it could have been the monarchy. It doesn't just have to be one person. You can spread this out and say, hey, you know, I noticed that uh, John at John Ampgarter at my park didn't uh, reach. I reached out to him last time, you know, Teflon, why don't you reach out to him this time and just say, Hey, or something like that. It is, it is the route that makes everything else work is just making Ampgard better. All of yeah. the other activities add on to that. Um, and I think that you put that more succinctly than, than any other guests that we've ever had. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. It, another thing is, you know how to make your park better is like i see a lot of people i just put a tiktok out, out of this actually i need to upload it um <laughs> is people come to park and they waste time and if you're a busy person or you're a very active person that's probably going to make you really mad because people i hate when people waste like if we all agree we're going to go to the, do this thing for three hours and then people are just kind of like messing around not doing nothing i kind of get aggravated at that because i'm like i got a lot of crap to do mm-hmm. um <laughs> but i I tell people I'll show up to park. If it's really important, you should show up on time. I'm a habitual show up late person, but if I'm like really trying to get like our people there, I usually am the first person to show up maybe 10, 15 minutes early. That way I make sure that I'm at least there. So if the flaky people show up and there's no one there, if there's someone there, they will stay. If there's no one there, they kind of leave sometimes. Mm -hmm. I try to make sure I'm the first person there or, you know, someone of my friend's group is going to be there for those people. Um, and another thing is just staying busy. Like I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate when people do 10 minutes of activity and playing like ditch or ring the bell or something. And they're like, all right guys, 30 minutes, let's go get water. And I'm like, it's been 10 minutes. You don't even need water. Uh, your throat's dry, get a sip and just come back to the game. I hate it when people stop battle gaming. Like they've been battle, They did a battle game. Like, all right. Or they do ditching. This is a huge one, but people do ditching and then they go, all right, everyone go get water. And you're like, well, if someone needs water, they are an adult. They can walk off and go get water and come back. We can keep ditching. Yeah. Like I hate it so much, but structuring your park in a way where it's like, all right, everyone shows up at the park. The first, you know, you know, first 45 minute people show up, which is like usually your core of players. I usually do a really simple battle game. Um, it's either, it, it's a ditch style game, which means no armor, 
in my head that's no armor no classes yeah and i like doing like ring the bell ring the bell with a modification ditching kill your killer weapon scramble anything like that and then the first hour of park we do a battle game we get done doing our battle game let people get water we start ditching again when people have done ditching and people want to play battle games again we play another battle game that battle game gets over i keep ditching and just keeping the act the, the non-activity to a minimum um just because you want those players to have a good time at your park mm-hmm. like I don't think talking about politics is fun at park. I don't think playing Magic the Gathering is fun at park. <laughs> I love playing Magic the Gathering. I just don't like doing it at park. Yeah, absolutely. And like just keeping people active, keeping their mind on amp card is a big one too. Like like if half your park day was playing one battle game, ditching and talking about politics, and someone's subconscious, they're like, Wow, I spent the prom- a fair amount of my time today talking about politics. That wasn't very fun. Then they associate not having fun with amp card and they stop coming back. I think that's actually a little bit what we struggle with uh, at the moment in our structure of, of playing games and stuff is that we do, like you said, the ditch thing. We sadly do the, all right, everybody go get water thing. Cause I get annoyed by that as well sometimes. Um, and then we do like a battle game and then that's it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I like to, <laughs> I like to do a lot of social engineering stuff. Like it's going to sound really like sociopathic. Someone, <laughs> if I have someone there who's like the park champion, but he's not very like, they are not very like, I don't know. They don't have a very big ego. They don't feel like too good about themselves. And like, mm-hmm. all right, let's take thirty minutes to get water. I'll literally just yell over them like, "Hey, how about no? Let's keep ditching." And they go, <laughs> and then everyone just keeps ditching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just because oh. I'm like, that's not a glassy-eyed psychopath, Raven. <laughs> Come up to Tennessee. We'll introduce you to some glassy-eyed psychopaths up here. Yeah, it sounds weird, but I'm like, I'd rather just do the thing that I think people are gonna have fun with, like mm-hmm. not. Not playing amp guard doesn't really service anybody. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, we're getting pretty close to time. So um, normally we kind of uh, get set up like a, do you have a fun or funny story that you can tell that like kind of showcases like you and amp guard basically, you know. We, um, we do ask based on. <laughs> Earlier guests that we've had that if a crime was committed, <laughs> please redact the names. <laughs> or if I statute of limitations are up, maybe that's fine. <laughs> so, so I promise I don't have any illegal stories. Um, although I've been in the game for like 20 years and I've kind of played all over the place. Yeah. I know about some pretty bad Texas horror stories like the Green Dragon story. I know about that. That's yeah. really screwed up. Um, now, some of my favorite stories are kind of the ones I'm, I'm – I'm, I guess I'm known for. Mm-hmm. And one is like, uh, I, almost every single year at Cape on the Borderlands, I climb the castle wall just because it's fun. Yeah. Um, and one of the one of the times that it happened was, is it Keep 2016, I think. And we we started the battle game and I was talking to this guy who's like almost six or almost seven foot tall. He's like six, seven, six, nine. His name is Apple. And uh, I was like, Apple, let's run over the, let's run over to the gate and just throw me up over the wall. He's like, all right, cool. So me and his whole fighting company ran all the way to the castle. Apple threw me over the wall. I was playing assassin. I had like enchantments and shit. I get over the wall and there's only archers in the, there's only archers inside the keep because for whatever reason they weren't like the way the battle game was set up was like players are supposed to play across this horizontal space and the, the keep was up here. So we all basically did this climbed up inside the castle Killed the archers. I had some extra swords and stuff. And the archers just keep spawning perpetually. And I I kill the first archer. I jump out of the tower. The other archer starts shooting at me. I run over the other tower, kill that guy. The other one spawns alive. And like I I use I keep using my swords to block his arrows because I don't want to die. I ran out of I ran out of swords. <laughs> so I hid underneath of the keep tower. And I, I was like, oh shit, well I gotta hide. And I waited for the guy. He like stuck his bow over the ledge of like the second floor to the first floor to try to see if he could shoot me. Mm-hmm. So I just I just hit his arrow off the knot. <laughs> just fell down. And I ran over the door and kicked the piece of wood off the door and just opened the doors and immediately ended the battle. Game. That's amazing. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was super duper funny actually. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's my favorite one of my favorite Ampred stories. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, hey, man. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah. I always love talking about fighting, uh, but my background 
uh, in addition to being to loving the the fighting, the combat, the tournament aspect, has also always really big and uh, been really big into service and leadership in the game too. Um, and uh, I I think that we got to see what I'm going to call a really humanizing uh, humanizing side uh, of this because your name without being spoken gets uh, toted around as one of these people that had to go do all of these things or would not be where they are, and as you said, that may be true, but this wasn't a forced thing. You wanted to go do these things. This is where your friends were. You wanted to hang out uh, with these people. And it wasn't just the fighting either. You've done, you've contributed quite a bit to the game in other ways as well, helping parks grow uh, and things like that. So thank you so much for everything that you shared. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been really cool. Stick around for just a little bit. We're going to ha- okay. do a little uh, 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 after hours uh, segment with you. Um, and I don't know which button it is, Jeff, but could you press one of those <laughs> buttons and see what, if it works? Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube or Spotify to get notified about new episodes. And make sure to follow us on Facebook for announcements and more. And I almost forgot to say this, so I'm going to say it after the rollout. Thank you so much to our Patreons. Um, we're yeah. actually building a new outro right now that has that built in, and I thought that it was already on there, but it's not. So uh, thank you so much for supporting the channel. If you'd like to support the channel, all of the links to do that is in the description below. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Bye. Uh, yeah, big.